of uh, children singing and uh, palm branches. It was going to be a big deal. Uh, but we're doing it instead remotely through this service stream. Uh, the most important week in history begins on what we call Palm Sunday. Uh, the day is so named because people waved palm branches on the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Luke writes one verse that summarizes the expectations of all Jews. And this gives meaning to Palm Sunday. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. All of Israel was waiting for a deliverer who would deliver them from the shackles of Rome. One before one week before Jesus' death and crucifixion uh, and resurrection, Jesus left Bethany, where he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And it was so amazing. Jesus came and he raised him. And because of that, many people came to believe. And uh, many Jewish religious leaders came to believe. And uh, uh, that was a big deal. And, the, and the, the Sanhedrin was getting all wigged out. We've got to do something about this, Jesus. So Jesus was walking from Bethany toward Mount Olive. And uh, a crowd was following him. Their numbers were growing as they went each step of the way. As he approached Bethpage, a little town along the way, uh, he asked his disciples to go and untie a colt that had never been ridden. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Uh, the Holy Son of God must ride a colt that no one else has ever ridden. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? So it happened just the way he said it would. They say, what are you doing with our colt? And they answered, the master needs it. And that's all the answer they needed. They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Uh, the disciples laid their cloaks on the colt, and people spread their cloaks on the ground, signifying that they believed He was the Messiah, and they were honoring Him. Um, now, they're, they're at the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives looks down. It's about a half mile from the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jory and I are taking a trip to Israel with many of you in the church uh, next year, and uh, we're going to spend five nights at a beautiful hotel that looks down on the city of Jerusalem. So this is what uh, Jesus is walking down. It's about a half mile walk. At this point, the crowd picks up and they begin to wave palm branches. Uh, they praised God for all the miracles that Jesus had done. The biggest one was raising Lazarus from the dead after he'd been dead four days. 
And they began to sing Psalm 118, which is the most famous psalm in the Psalter. It's part of what's called the Hallel. The Hallel is Psalm 113 to 118, always read at Passover. Uh, can, you, can you sense the audacity of this procession? After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the, the Jewish leaders put out a ban on Jesus. The chief priests had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So Jesus had a bounty on his head, yet here he is with hundreds, probably thousands of people following him. He's riding a colt into Jerusalem. When he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, the, the crowd sang and they waved palm branches. Up to this point, Jesus had tried to conceal his identity as the Messiah, the Son of God. From this point forward, he'll make no such attempt. He proclaims himself from now on as the Messiah and Son of God. Just look at this video of what it would have been like for Jesus to come down his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus' entrance creates a storm. The prophet Zechariah predicted that a new king of the Jews would enter the city on a donkey. Jesus is no longer making any attempt to shield his identity as the Messiah and Son of God. He allows the people to sing praises to him. Uh, To understand the full impact of Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem with all these people praising him, I want to ask two questions. One, who was there? And two, what is the significance of Palm Sunday in that day and for us today? So one, Who was there on Palm Sunday? First, Herod Antipas was there. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, the king who put all the baby boys uh, two years of age and younger to death around Bethlehem when he learned a new Jewish king had been born. When Herod the Great died, Herod Antipas was assigned to rule as king of Galilee and Perea from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D., He knew John the Baptist and Jesus well because most of their ministries were carried out in Galilee. His father had a special relationship with Caesar Augustus, so so did Herod Antipas. His brother, Herod Archelaus, was assigned to rule over Judea. For some strange reason, he was deposed in 6 AD. There was no king in Jerusalem. Instead, the Roman emperor assigned Pilate to be the procurator over Judea. Uh, There was tension between Herod Antipas and Pilate. Uh, Herod had a close relationship with Caesar. Uh, Pilate did not. 
Herod was rich. He had a beautiful villa on the coast at Caesarea. Uh, and uh, he had a palatial mansion in Jerusalem. Uh, Pilate was not wealthy. Herod had lived in Palestine his whole life. Pilate was new. Uh, no doubt, Herod came into Jerusalem with a big splash with his Herodian entourage. Pilate was also there. He ruled in Jerusalem from 26 to 36 AD. He did not do well with the Jews. Whenever there was a problem, he called out the Roman army. Many Jews uh, were killed under Pilate. So the people hated Pilate. If you want to get some insight into uh, Herod's relationship with Pilate, uh, here's one thing you need to know. Pilate lived on the coast at Caesarea. Uh, He preferred that to Jerusalem. He only came to Jerusalem for special occasions like Passover. And when he was there, he'd stayed at the Antonius Fortress. Uh, Antonius Fortress was Herod's old palace. He discarded that. When he did, he gave it to uh, Caesar. And Caesar said, ah, that'll be good enough for my procurator. And so Pilate lived in that, and he knew he had the short end of the stick. Uh, Pilate knew uh, that he got the short end of the stick, but he made a grand entry into Jerusalem. Uh, Romans always made a big deal out of military pageantry, so there would have been a centurion and a hundred soldiers in front of him, and then a centurion and a hundred soldiers behind him. Both Herod and Pilate would have ridden into Jerusalem ahead of Jesus. Who else was there? Annas and Caiaphas. Uh, Annas, the former high priest, was there. Uh, He was high priest in Jerusalem from 6 to 15 AD. For some uh, mysterious reason, he was deposed by the Romans. But wily old Annas, within three years, got his son-in-law, Caiaphas, to be the new high priest. Uh, Caiaphas served as high priest from 18 to 36 AD. He was the high priest, but the real man in power was wily old Annas his father-in-law. Luke writes, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He lists Annas first because he realized Annas is the real high priest in power. In John 18, John writes, then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. They led him to Annas first because he was the real person in power. And going on in John 18, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. priest. Jesus, when he was arrested, he was first taken to Annas, the high priest, for a trial. Then he sent him to Caiaphas. Peter and John, after the resurrection, went before the high priests. Acts 4, 6. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. Luke lists Annas first, because he realized he's the real person in power. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas undoubtedly made a grand entrance into Jerusalem with the Sadducees and Pharisees. The Zealots were also there. 
Zealots were those who believed that the only way to throw off the shackles of Rome was by force. One of their best known uh, leaders was a man named Barabbas. He's the one you remember was uh, released to the people so that Pilate could take Jesus instead to be crucified. And then people from all around the world were also there. Passover was a big celebration for the Jews, and people came from Africa, uh, the Middle East, uh, the East, uh, the Roman province of Asia, from Greece, and even from Europe. They would come into Jerusalem for Passover. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with hundreds, probably thousands of followers, it would not have gone unnoticed by Herod, Pilate, Annas and Caiaphas, the zealots, and all the people that had gathered from around the world. In all four of the Gospels, we read that the first place Jesus went when he rode into Jerusalem was to the temple. Uh, Chris Quinn talked about this a couple weeks ago. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of robbers. Uh, When Jesus encountered uh, this uh, whole scene of buying and selling in the temple courts, uh, this was not some long-standing tradition. Uh, For years, believers had flocked from around the world to Jerusalem for Passover, and they would bring uh, Passover lambs and uh, appropriate animals for sacrifice. Nothing new there. But around 30 A.D., Caiaphas turned it into a money-making scheme. In order to pay the temple dues, people would have to change their money. And they had to pay exorbitant prices to change their money. Then they had to buy the the lambs and the doves. And again, they had to pay high prices, gouging. Uh, Having all this available to the people... Right there was a convenience. The problem was that Caiaphas had turned it into a money-making operation where they made oodles of money. To make matters worse, they set up their shops in the Gentile courts, the only place that was open for Gentiles to pray. This prevented the Gentiles from worshiping God. In Mark's account of this, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them. He said, it is not written, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now there are four gospels. And each of the writers adds in just different elements. Mark adds in for all nations. He realized this was the reason Jesus was so angry. They were precluding Gentiles from worship. They had set it up with money changers and animals for sale. Now what's the significance of Palm Sunday in its own time and our time today? Uh, Jewish people and some Gentiles gathered from around the world to remember Passover. Passover was the night God passed over the firstborn of any people who put blood, the Jewish people who put blood over their doorposts, putting their faith in God. But on that same night, he put to death firstborns 
of sons in Egypt who did not believe in God. And so it was a terrible night for the Egyptian people, but it was a great victory for the Jewish people. And after that, Pharaoh let the people go. So people were coming to celebrate Passover, and uh, they came with lots of different messianic expectations, but they had one thing in common. Something had to change. God had to send a deliverer to do something because things were so bad. So what happened? For one moment, a large number of people recognized Jesus for who he was. The week before, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. After he'd been dead for several days, and many people came to believe in him. And these are the ones, many of them, following Jesus down into Jerusalem. Many Jewish religious leaders became believers after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. For one brief moment, many people came together and recognized that Jesus really was the Messiah, really was the the Son of God. He really was their deliverer. They recognized him as the Lord he really was. A few weeks ago, um, Erica uh, pulled out the uh, DVD, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it got me thinking about uh, C.S. Lewis' other books, and one of them is The Horse and His Boy. And in that, uh, Shasta meets Aslan. Aslan in the Narnia Tales is the Christ figure. He's the massive lion, and, and um, uh, Shasta says to him, Are you a giant? And Aslan said, uh, Yes, but not like the giants you know. It's kind of like he's basically saying to Shasta, you know, I'm a giant. If that's the biggest word you can come up with for me, if that's the biggest word you can think of, then I'll work with it. Well, that's what Jesus does here as he comes into Jerusalem. He accepts the Hallel and the palm branches. He accepts when they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. you Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus says, I'll accept your praise as your deliverer. And now I'll work with it. What happened on Palm Sunday? For one brief moment, one split second, people said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the King. He's our deliverer. And King he was. Deliverer he was. But he was going to deliver them from something far more important. He was going to deliver them from sin and death and Satan. Now, what's the significance of the palm branches? Palm branches go back to 156 B.C. when Judas of Maccabees had cleansed the temple. After he cleansed the temple, the people loved him. It was one of their proudest moments going all the way back to like Malachi and the prophets before him. They put the palm branches on their coins. Uh, the Maccabeans were loved by the people. It was their moment of glory for a few, you know, just a short period of time. That tells you why Herod was so hated. Herod, Herod married Miriam, the last survivor of the Maccabean dynasty. Uh, they had three sons. When Herod heard that his wife and three sons were uh, coordinating with the 
a Maccabean dynasty. He arranged for the murder of his own wife and three sons just to protect his throne. That was Herod. That's what he was like. He's the same one who killed the babies around uh, Bethlehem. Uh, he killed the last survivor of the Maccabean dynasty, and the people hated him for it. And that ha- hatred for Herod was passed on to his son, Herod Antipas. They hated him too. On Palm Sunday, for one brief moment, people recognized Jesus as the Son of God, as the Lord He was. Luke 19.39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They say, Stop. Don't let them say this about you, that you're the deliverer, the Messiah. Now here comes the climactic line of Palm Sunday. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What does Jesus mean? He means that he understands that on a subjective level, the people are recognizing him to be the Messiah, their deliverer, the Son of God. But at a more profound level, he's saying, if these people stop saying, I am Lord, the stones will cry out. In other words, he's not just Lord subjectively. He's Lord objectively. What's the significance of Palm Sunday? Jesus is Lord both subjectively and objectively. Their affirmation does not make him Lord. He is Lord with or without their affirmation. Jesus Christ is Lord subjectively and objectively. If this is the significance of Palm Sunday, it seems to me there's two two applications for us today. One, since Jesus Christ is Lord, is Jesus Lord in your life? Unlike an election, Jesus is not waiting for votes to come in from Pennsylvania or Florida or Arizona. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not waiting for votes to come in to determine whether or not He's Lord. He's Lord whether or not you choose Him to be your Lord. If you do not choose to make Him Lord of your life, He's not less for it. You are. It's not possible to be incidentally a Christian. Being an incidental, lukewarm Christian is an impossibility. Jesus either is Lord or He's not. Is He Lord in your life? Two, if Jesus Christ is Lord over all people in the world, can you claim that you care about people if you're not doing everything you can to share Christ with them? Somewhere around 90% of Portlanders are not followers of Christ. They may, some of them may have made commitments to Christ in their early years, but they're not following Him. Most people in Portland know next to nothing about Jesus. Without a doubt, you have people in your life in your family who are not followers of Christ, in your neighborhood, your school, your place of work, clubs you are part of? What are you doing to share in Christ with them? Are you praying for them? It's always the place to start. Do you do things to build relationships with them? Do you try to talk to them? Have you invited any of them to church? Now, next Sunday is Easter. Uh, this is going to be an interesting Easter for us. You know, Easter usually is uh, 
almost everybody has a friend with them that they've worked hard, prayed for to get to come on Easter. And uh, this Sunday we won't, uh, this Easter we won't be able to do that. So <laughs> the best you can do is to encourage them to go uh, to, uh, you know, watch uh, our service online. So portlandcommunitychurch.org, uh, PDX Community Church on YouTube, uh, Portland Community Church on Facebook. Uh, just urge them to, you know, do it with you. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a couple friends over and you have a brunch and you sit and watch. Uh, and, and you can watch our, uh, our service stream with us. Uh, you may get excited after you see it next Sunday and then you tell your friend, hey, go look at this. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's my encouragement to you, to, to get other people you know your friends. They're hunkered down in their houses anyway. And maybe they're actually looking for stuff to, to watch and uh, encourage them to do that. C.S. Lewis in his book, Hideous Strength, uh, has a, a guy named uh, Bill is talking to Mark and he's saying, don't go to work for this new company. It's, uh, he said, you'd be better to stay at Bracton. Uh, and if you go to this new company, it was called NICE, it's, it's going to cause you to lose your faith. And, uh, um, and his friend Mark just kind of responds with, well, I suppose there are two views about everything. And Bill replies, two views? There are dozens of views about everything until you know the answer. Then there's never more than one. Uh, there's a popular lie circulating in our culture that says all beliefs are the same. All beliefs get you to the top of the mountain. You know, all beliefs get you to God. It doesn't really matter what you believe. But once you discover that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he's the Son of God, that he's Lord of the universe, and that he's the only one that can restore your relationship with God, that he alone is Lord, then there is no other way. He's the Lord of the universe. He was the Lord before this coronavirus pandemic hit. And he is Lord in the midst of it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you that you are Lord. Whether or not we commit our lives to you, you're Lord. Whether or not we follow you, you're Lord. And we want to recognize you as Lord. And uh, would you commit that to him right now? Just wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching this, just say, Jesus, I believe you're Lord. You're the Son of God. You were raised from the dead. And I want to make you Lord in my life. Or I want to make you Lord again. Just invite him to be your Lord, you pray.